It's just alive. It's a living, breathing thing. All right, I'm going to pray, so just let me know when all the recordings and everything is good to go. And y'all would tell me if I had some collar all messed up or something, right? All right. True friends out there that would let me know. You ready? All right, so let's pray tonight. Y'all please agree with me, and I just ask if possible, please, as little moving around as possible, just help me out with that. But we're going to go through this. Uh, I believe it's a really powerful word for you guys, okay? So, Lord, we lift up this time in the Word. We love your Word. We thank you for the Word of the Lord. Lord, we agree together, collectively together, unified, and we ask you that you would speak through me your Word tonight, that it would be rhema, it would be life, it would be manna, because it's your Word, not, not because it's anything to do with me, but it's your Word. And let it be, Lord, as um, a powerful, shining light of truth, that will dispel all the darkness and the lies, the deception of the evil one and bring truth, bring revelation. Let it be a mighty hammer, Lord, that breaks down strongholds, traditions of men, religious doctrines, things that are not of God, it's of man or it's of the world or of the devil. Let the, the hammer of the word of God break right through that. Let the sword penetrate and get down to the joints and marrow. Let it get down to the, the place of, of the deepest places it needs to hit to hit the mark in people's lives, Lord. I pray that it will penetrate. And Lord, I ask you that your word will be like a washing of the water of the word, a deep cleansing in all of us. Lord, I pray that every person that's going to be hearing this, Lord, that you would let there be just a fresh anointing. I pray that your precious Holy Spirit fill and saturate us wherever we are. People may be hearing this driving down the road in a vehicle. They may be on a computer. They may be hearing this some other way. But Lord, I pray that wherever we're at right now, that the glory of the Lord come, that your Holy Spirit begin to just captivate us and fill us and give us, um, you know, good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives ready. Lord, that you would anoint our eyes and ears and give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. Anoint our minds to be able to understand. Anoint our hearts to be tender towards you and your word. And Lord, as you speak through me, let it be living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil, people's lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Let the winds of your spirit carry this everywhere it needs to go. And Lord, I pray that your mighty angels watch over it because the Bible promises that your word will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. It won't return void. But we also know that the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So we agree together that we bind the enemy in Jesus' name that in any way would try to hinder this word from going forth and wherever they would try to hinder it in somebody's life or try to hinder it through the internet or whatever. Father, in Jesus' name, we bind the enemy. Command they will back off and go and release this word and back off in Jesus' name. But Lord, let it go forth in power. And Lord, I commit it unto you that you anoint me and speak through me by your Holy Spirit. We thank you. We agree together. And we agree all this in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it now. We believe we receive it. We expect it in Jesus' name. All right. Well, I'm doing a series on what brought revival. Because God has been doing a deep work in all of us here for some time. And uh, people have, you know, asked questions down through the years. So God laid on my heart to share this. And I'm going through, I'm going to take my time with this series. I believe it will probably go for a while. Um, 
But anyway, we're going to cover a lot of ground. But tonight, I want to talk specifically about Hanukkah because, you know, we're right now in the middle of Hanukkah. This is the fifth night of Hanukkah. And some might ask, well, what in the world does Hanukkah have to do with revival? But as I go through this, you'll see that it has a lot to do with revival. All right, so let's look at, well, let me say this up front, too, because some people may be listening to this, and if the Hebrew roots concept is new to you, and I understand that there are some things out there that would be religious and a religious spirit, is no doubt about it. But the Hebrew roots is actually a very powerful concept. If that's new to you, I recommend, strongly recommend you to get this book. And it's called Messianic Church Arising. And it's by Robert Heidler. You can get it someplace like Amazon, but you could also get it through Chuck Pierce's ministry. He carries a lot of them. But it's a very good book. It, it's excellent. It'll explain how Satan has tried to steal the Hebrew roots from the church. And when it's done the right way, it's a very powerful thing. It really is. And I would say that we'll get probably into this more in another series, or another sermon series, uh, sorry, another sermon in this series. But I would say that the Hebrew roots has had a lot to do with the revival that's been going on here. It's played a significant role. All right, so let's go into this. John 10:22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication, which is Hanukkah, took place in Jerusalem it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon so in John 10:22, it's clearly referenced that Jesus was in Jerusalem he was walking through the temple area and he was looking at the beautiful Hanukkah menorah here and there there's several of them put up I'm sure and he was looking at the festive lights and just participating in Hanukkah and um, Hanukkah is a very powerful, you know, out of the, the feast days, all of them are significant, and God has touched my life with all of them, okay? You have Passover, you have Pentecost, and the fall feast. All of them are very powerful, but Hanukkah has had a special meaning for me, and some of it may be personal because I have, um, I've always felt a connection with David. David was a a warrior of the tribe of Judah but yet he had like a priestly ministry so he was like a priestly warrior I've always felt a connection with that I've always felt a connection with some of the meaning of Hanukkah here that um, cleansing the temple that God doing a deep consecration in our lives and as I go through this the all of the different um, concepts behind Hanukkah have always meant a lot to me it's a personal thing but I've always felt a really powerful move of God in my life during this time as I, you know, spend time with the Lord during Hanukkah. All right, so here's some things about Hanukkah. I'll explain as we go. It has to do with cleansing the temple. You remember Jesus took a whip and cleansed the temple also in his time. And today the Bible talks about, may you be sanctified throughout your spirit's own body. Be kept pure and blameless till coming of the Lord. The Bible talks about us being vessels of honor. It talks about cleansing your temple, okay? Putting off the old man, putting on the new so this concept of being cleansed is, is very biblical. And we are the temple of the Spirit. So God is saying to us today that we really become deeply consecrated unto him. Number two is rebuilding the altar. The altar was, was defiled during the days of this story of Hanukkah. Um, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes came in. They sacrificed a pig on the altar. 
they deliberately defiled the altar and tried to do everything they could to defile the temple, which I'll talk more about. But when the, when the Maccabees got the victory and they came back in, they had to rebuild the altar and cleanse it and, you know, start over doing uh, what God had prescribed. So in our lives, God is wanting us to rebuild the altar of prayer, to rebuild the altar of revival in our lives. It reminds me of the days of, of Elijah when Jezebel was doing what she was doing, killing the prophets and, and trying to snuff out any trace of God. And God used Elijah to come in and, and he got up on, the, on Mount Carmel. And the Bible says that he had to rebuild the altar that Jezebel had torn down. There was an altar there. He rebuilt it and that was the very altar that, remember he poured the water on it. But anyway, he called down fire from heaven. And it was a great revival that broke forth as people fell on their face and repented and got right with God. But it had to do with rebuilding the altar. We need in churches today like never before to rebuild the altar of prayer again. And make God's house house of prayer. We need to rebuild the altar in our homes, in our lives. That we become a people of prayer. And let, let God send a fresh revival in our lives. Another thing about Hanukkah, which I'll get more into this. I'm just doing an intro right now. Is that there was a supernatural move of extra oil that shouldn't have been there. They had a little flask of oil that should just last in one day. It last eight days. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And it reminds me in the Bible where you read about the woman that, I believe it was Elisha, that told her to keep pouring the oil. And it just kept pouring and kept pouring and kept pouring. It was supernatural. And we're living in a time where the Bible says that God's coming for wise virgins with extra oil. God is wanting us to be a people that have extra oil in our lives. Okay, We don't need yesterday's oil, and we certainly don't need our oil to be dried up. We need a fresh anointing on our lives in the day that we live. And fire, revival, fire. Okay, just like, some, I don't know if you guys can see it that are watching, but you know we have this lit here, but... It's a fire on top of that oil. And God's wanting to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and with fire and that we burn bright for him. And of course, the whole story of Hanukkah has to do, it's very similar to Gideon's victory. Gideon had a ridiculously small amount of people. But he saw a huge victory over this military force of his time. Joshua and them there was that wall of Jericho that in the natural how in the world are you going to penetrate this but God did it and it's just supernatural victories and even in Moses remember the water shut and closed um, you know killed Pharaoh's army that was pursuing them so God is the God of supernatural victories and that's the story also of Hanukkah God will make a way all right I want to open up with a couple things I'm going to come back to that but the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 10, that I might know him. If you're taking notes, that'd be something to circle, to highlight, put stars beside it, draw attention to that, that I might know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death so these are four things that Paul mentioned here. To know him, the power of his resurrection. We need to walk in power. First off, we need to know him. When I say no, I'm not talking about just being born again. I'm, I'm talking about a relationship. What is he speaking to us? And not just through the church, a personal living relationship. Number two, the power of his resurrection, that we walk in power. 
Number three, the fellowship of his sufferings. Nobody wants that. But the truth is, that is part of the calling, that we share in the sufferings of the Lord. And number four, to be conformed to his death. That we be, in, you know, we're familiar with the scriptures that we're crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but Christ living through us. In order that we might attain the resurrection of the dead, we look for the day, and this is another sermon for another time, but we look for the day when there's going to be a great shofar blast, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those that are alive and remain will be changed, but we're all going to experience a resurrection from the dead and be given glorified bodies. We're looking for that day, okay? But right now, as we're in this life, the Apostle Paul is saying that we might know him. Out of that comes power. Out of that comes, um, you know, the fellowship of the sufferings that you're persecuted. Out of that comes a conforming to his death. So, here's the thing. When we come to the Lord, please remember this. It's very important. God does not want us to come to him just simply based on the fact that we're threatened by his power alone. You ever thought about that? He doesn't want us to just be afraid of him and threatened by his power when we come to him. That he could, you know, squish us like a bug or something. He doesn't want us to come because of that. Number two, he doesn't want us to come just based on the fact that we could be blessed. How many people, that's the motive, that's the wrong motive. And number three, he doesn't want us to come to him just on an intellectual basis, that we're just trying to figure out the universe. He's a piece of the puzzle. We're trying to figure out things. Why does God want us to really come to him? He wants us to come to him because we want to know him. We want to love him. We want to learn his ways. When Jesus walked on the earth, we saw the Father through him. And Jesus could have, remember when he got in that boat, if he wanted to, he could have pointed at that seashore and it would have parted in front of everybody and he stood, could have stood on dry ground. He could have preached standing on the water. He could have spoken a whole group of trees withered right there. I mean, there's a lot of things Jesus could have done, but... It, he was doing things in a way to show the Father's love and compassion for hurting people. And it wasn't presented in a way to where people would just be like afraid of God or they would want just his blessing. God wants us to want him because we want him and we love him. Okay? All right. And so the motive needs to be to live and walk in fellowship with him. And to learn his ways. Now think about the Garden of Eden. Why did God create man for fellowship? And I have no doubt that God came down in fellowship with them all the time. Walk with them. Talk with them. And that was the purpose of the whole thing. So as we have a great covenant now through Christ. Through his blood. With the spirit of God living in us. God is wanting us to have a heart. Um, that we might know him. And walk with him. And know his ways. Okay. And love him for who he is. All right, number two, the next point I want to make is this, as we're going, I'm going somewhere with all of this, is, you know, God will also wants to do a deep work in all of us. And just like the story in Jeremiah about the potter's clay, the, 
the potter was making something it was marred so he had to break it and he had to start over and how many knows that all of us have got to be broken for God to really use us and so God has to do that he has to do a a breaking and it, it is an uncomfortable thing and at times a painful thing but God deeply loves us and he wants to fellowship with us but what we've got to understand and I'm going somewhere with this tonight with Hanukkah is that man at the, because of the fall there is a pride there's an ungodly unhealthy fear there's a rebellion that is in the sinful nature I could take time but I don't need to sidetrack too much but Adam and Eve fell the pride of life they were lifted up with pride they wanted to be like God Eve that you can be like God that's pride they were afraid they hid <clears throat> and of course we know they rebelled and so that's in the nature and God knows if he was just to come down and begin to really move in somebody's life begin to fellowship with them begin to pour out his spirit just really begin to do a deep powerful work in their life without them being broken without there being any process in their life there's no doubt they would get lifted up with pride and it would be devastating y'all hear what I'm saying and so God knows that um, he wants to fellowship with us he wants his presence in our lives he wants to prod his spirit in our lives he does and those that love him and want to know him that's his heart but for him to draw near there's got to be a work he's got to do in all of us okay and so it reminds me of how a couple things Saul King Saul came out of obscurity you remember he was small in his own eyes at the beginning but Saul was what man wanted he was handsome he was a head tall and everybody he was what a king looked like all of that and when Samuel rebuked Saul later Samuel said there was a time when you were small in your own eyes and that was part of the rebuke and Saul lost everything but see Saul never had to go through the process David did that's why David went through a time of the cave wanderings and that was where David was broken any ego he had was dealt with you know what I'm saying and when David began to have God move in his life he had been through a process where he could handle it Saul had not and also this goes along with what I'm about to talk about here can these burnt stones live it's interesting that Solomon built this beautiful temple but it ended up being destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar's army and when the people came out of Babylonian captivity there were some old people that knew Solomon's temple and when they were standing there and they saw it and it was a heap of rubble it had burnt stones etc they wept you know and even when Ezra and Nehemiah and others they, they oversaw the rebuilding of the temple and when they saw that it was built it was so subpar it was so inferior to what it was before that the, the people that knew it before wept but this is what God said though God said that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former though. so which one do you want you want the outward beauty or you want the glory you see what I'm saying many times God will allow destruction he'll allow things to be torn down and you know there was people that were mocking Ezra and Nehemiah Sembalat Tobiah you can read about them in, in the book of Nehemiah they were mocking and they were saying can these burnt stones live again 
Well, God said, yes, they can, and they did, and they rebuilt the temple, and the glory of God was greater in that inferior temple. Many times, what is despised by men, lowly, humble, etc., that's the places God will put his greatest glory. I think about the Azusa Street revival, broke out in a home, and then ended up in, a, in that, you know, it was just a barn, it was a stable. There was nothing about that um, Azusa Street mission that was beautiful at all, but yet there was an awesome glory there in that place. So in this, in this scenario, Nehemiah 4.2, he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, now these are the people mocking Nehemiah. What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? They're talking about the wall and before that the temple. This is in context of what was going on in this time, okay? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? They were mocking them. Many times when you're going to do something for the Lord, don't be surprised that the devil doesn't have some Sam Balance and Tobias that'll mock. Psalm 138.6 For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows from afar. Did y'all hear that? See, God knows the proud from a distance. But the lowly, he'll draw near. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves those whose Christian spirit. See, when Israel came back from Babylonian captivity, they had been broken. They had been crushed. They had been put through it, man. And then they come back, and now they're having to rebuild this inferior temple, and they're being mocked all around them. They were in a broken place, but God gave them a victory. This was the days that God raised up Zechariah, the prophet. And Zechariah prophesied to them, the hands that laid this foundation will finish it. See, they needed that encouragement from a prophet. And he said, it's not going to be by human might or power, but it's going to be by my spirit, says the Lord. This will get done. And he said, don't worry about it. The glory of this latter house will be greater than the former. And he encouraged them, and they finished the work, and it was. He also encouraged them and said, don't despise the days of small beginnings. So God will visit the humble and the broken, but he is opposed to the proud. He's distant to the prideful. He knows them at a distance, the ones that are self-sufficient. God puts us through the crushing, then he'll visit us. All right. Let me say something about this, if I could please get your attention for a moment here, about charismatic witchcraft. This is something I just felt the Lord wanted me to mention. This phrase has been something I've you know, thought about for a long time. But you have to be careful with some kind of a weird pseudo-spirituality. And uh, we talk about religious witchcraft, which is a stronghold here that we deal with in this region. But kind of an offshoot of that and similar but different is charismatic witchcraft and let me give you some different aspects of this I've known people like this so I, when I say this there's, there's things coming to my mind but some people are too proud to ever really 
be faithful to a local church. I've known people like this. They're too proud, they're arrogant, they're too proud to submit themselves under a pastor. Just from talking to some of them, I think that some of them believe that they're more spiritual than every other pastor in every other church, I guess. But they'll go from conference to conference, place to place. And they really believe that they're spiritual. I believe that they do. But they can't even be faithful. Think about this for a minute. It's a pseudo-spirituality. It's a deception. It's a charismatic witchcraft where you're being hyped up all the time it's an emotional high or something but people can't even obey the bible in regards to just don't forsake assembling yourselves together don't forsake god's house basically and they can't even be faithful to church but yet they're spiritual they're more spiritual than everybody else in their own mind see they can't even be faithful in tithing i've known in this charismatic witchcraft it's a it's a deception it's a stronghold where people are always looking to be whipped up emotionally or something, hyped up, some, something that, that they can say they're a part of. I've known people that you could invite them to a prayer meeting or something. I'm talking about even leaders too. You can invite them to a prayer meeting and it's, a, it's, it's something that's not going to be publicized. They'll never come. They'll never come to anything like that. But you invite the same people to something, an event, where their name it's going to be up in the smoke and the lights. And they'll be early, they'll stay late, and they'll come every time. I'm talking about charismatic witchcraft. It's connected to some kind of an ego trip. It's rooted in pride. And sadly, God has to pass people by like that until they repent to as far as a great move of God. So... I don't need to be hyped up. And I, I've called it an event mentality because I've seen over and over in this region where people get so whipped up about an event and then the event's over. You know, events don't last forever. It's just an event. And people get so prideful in these events. Like, you know, I guess because their name is, is somehow in the smoke and the lights and they're... But what about just rolling up your sleeves like Ezra and Nehemiah and doing the work of the Lord? and being faithful with the ABCs of Christianity. I believe personally that's actually spiritual. It's humble and it's spiritual. All right. Here's one more thing I'm going to say and then I'm going to talk about Hanukkah for a minute. Remember, Zechariah was in that time frame of Ezra and Nehemiah and he was prophesying. He said it's not going to get done by human effort. It's not going to be by human power. It's going to be by my spirit that it gets done. It reminds me of the scripture, unless the Lord builds the house, they might labor, labor in vain. And unless the Lord keep the city, the watchmen watch in vain. You're only going to be protected if God's protecting you. You're only going to be able to do something of eternal significance unless the Lord is in it and the Lord's doing it. But how many places out there, it's all about man, man's wisdom, man's strategy, and it's not about consulting the Lord anymore. Let me give you something interesting out of the Hebrew roots. During Hanukkah, every year, I can't sidetrack, so just follow me because I've got to go real quick with this. But the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, is broken up into reading sections called a Parsha throughout the year. And it's covered, it'll cover the whole Torah in a year, okay? 
All right, so during this time of Hanukkah, the Parsha that's read is called Miketz, and it has to do with Joseph's rise to power. But what did Joseph go through? Remember, Joseph struck me just reading the Bible. He struck me as maybe being a little cocky. He was young. He was his dad's favorite. And because of him being cocky, that's a turnoff, big time. His brothers couldn't stand it. And I'm not saying they were right because they weren't. But nonetheless, they couldn't stand him. And then to make it even worse, Joseph was having these dreams that were from God about his brothers bowing down to him. So, I mean, that ticked them off. I mean, you know, that really, that set them over the edge. I mean, but anyway, God had to do a breaking in Joseph. Joseph had a high calling. God's hand was upon him, but Joseph was probably very cocky and annoying when he was young. But whenever Joseph went through the pit, where he got thrown into a pit, into slavery, then he was thrown into prison. By the time God got done with Joseph, Joseph could handle being raised up and used, and it wasn't going to destroy him. He was broken. There's also, along with the, the Parsha reading, every week there's also another reading called a Haftarah, where something like maybe out of Isaiah is read to go along with it. Or, or one of the narrative books. And to go along with this story, the Haftarah reading is 1 Kings chapter 3, which has to do with Solomon's rise to power. Interestingly enough, you had the exact opposite. Solomon never went through the pit in the prison. But when he was young and God spoke to him in a dream, Solomon did have a lot of wisdom when he asked God for wisdom. And God did give it to him. But then we read about what? Power corrupted Solomon. Solomon ends up doing everything you're not supposed to do. But a lot of times that Haftar is not read because during a holiday time at Hanukkah, a different Haftar is read instead. So a lot of times that's not even read. And interesting, here is what is read during this time. Zechariah 2 through 4. What I was just talking about. How Joshua, the high priest of that time, had dirty garments and God had to take those dirty garments off of him and put clean garments. God had to cleanse him. Remember the two trees that were pouring into the lampstand. And this was the same passages that we're talking about where Zechariah was encouraging the people. It's not going to be my human effort. It's going to be by my spirit that gets, this gets done. And so with that said, it's interesting to me because you're seeing a pattern. Now going into the story of Hanukkah, Israel was going to go through a very difficult time. They were going to be beat down and broken through this battle that they had to face, okay? I'm just going to read to you out of my notes here, and then we'll close it out. But Antiochus Epiphanes, he was the king of the Seleucid Empire. For those that know a little bit about history, you remember Alexander the Great. He conquered the world at that time. Daniel prophesied that he would. When he died young, his empire was divided into four kingdoms. Well, Seleucus had the, the Middle East was his kingdom. 
There was another man named Ptolemy who ruled like Egypt down into Africa. They were always at war with each other. But anyway, later on in this Seleucid Empire that was there in the Middle East, Antiochus Epiphanes, he wanted to conquer Israel completely and completely subjugate them. And in that, he also wanted to do away with anything that God had given Israel through Moses. Because at this time, even though Israel was under Greek domination around them, Israel was still autonomous. You know, they still had their leaders, their priestly leaders, like the, the Sanhedrin, and they still had their laws and, and synagogue, etc. I mean, they were still a functioning kingdom within a greater kingdom, okay? But Antiochus Epiphanes was not content with that. He wanted to come in and just destroy the temple, and he wanted to convert them completely to being a bunch of little Greeks. So let me just read this. I put in my notes he was a crazy delusional guy, and he was. In the area of Syria, um, he wanted to conquer Israel fully and sought to do away with God's word and culture and make all the Jews become Greek. He tried to prevent things. See, he was going to do away with circumcision, the Sabbath observance, celebrating the feast, keeping a kosher diet, study of Torah, or going to synagogue. He, if he was successful at this, it would have prevented Christ's coming. You understand that? The stage would not have been set for the coming of the Lord. But he was successful at temporarily stopping the temple rituals. And he erected a statue of Zeus in the outer court area. Some say it was actually in the inner court area. Uh, anyway, he sacrificed a pig on the altar. He poured the pig's broth, um, you know, cooked it, made broth, and poured it all over the Torah scrolls, everything there. He desperately wanted to, to defile the temple. He erected shrines and altars throughout the land. And the people were forced to offer sacrifices as tokens of their acceptance of this new religion. Some Jews were fine with the transition. It reminds me of today. That there's a lot of Christians nowadays, they profess Christ with their mouth, but they're pretty comfortable with being just like the world. Most were deeply troubled, though, and stayed totally devoted to God. So God always has a remnant. Amen? Those who were disobedient to the Greeks were either tortured or killed or both. Their bodies were mutilated. While they were still alive and breathing, they were crucified. The wives and the sons whom they had circumcised were strangled. Some were crucified with the dead bodies of their children made to hang around their necks. It was a horrible time. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about those that were martyred and tortured. You remember reading Hebrews chapter 11? Some biblical scholars that know history believe that the reference here also included those that died taking a stand for the Lord during these days. If Epiphanes had been successful... At extinguishing this culture and replaced it with the Greek culture and the Greek gods, Christ, the coming of Christ would have been hindered. Do you remember how Herod tried to kill all the male babies when Jesus was born? Do you remember how Pharaoh tried to kill all the male babies when Moses was born? There was some satanic thing that was stirring up that was trying to extinguish 
um, the Jewish culture to prevent Christ from coming. It was like an antichrist spirit, so to speak, at work before Christ came, obviously. So the Maccabees were a family of faithful priests. The king Epiphanes sent representatives throughout the land in the city of Moedin. There was to be a sacrifice. Remember, they put altars throughout the land. And they were expecting that people were going to come and offer up sacrifices to their Greek demon gods they worship. And so there was a sacrifice and the representative of Antiochus Epiphanes was there and he asked the influential priestly leader, Metahias, to do a sacrifice as a pledge to his allegiance to the Greek king Epiphanes. And Metahias, a faithful priest, stated, far be it from me, to desert the law and its ordinances we will not obey the king's words by turning aside from our religion neither to the right or the left so another Jew came forward in sight of all the others to sacrifice on the altar and like his ancient ancestor Phineas Mattahias burned with zeal for the Lord and killed the Jew right there on the spot that was a capital offense mind you and this started a war so the Maccabees, their name comes from a Hebrew word meaning hammer. I just picture this for a minute. I don't think that any of us can really understand how radical this was. I mean, you had the, one of the, the greatest military forces on planet Earth at that time was the Seleucid Empire. They were forced to be reckoned with. And they were coming in. And look, Metahias, I mean, they blow the shofar and whoever's going to come help them. And it's just a ragtag army. Small in the natural they did not have a prayer they didn't they were untrained warriors going up against trained warriors they just didn't have a chance they were outnumbered but yet in the book of daniel daniel prophesied that during that time god would give them a little help and this was a fulfillment of that prophecy at least in part and god drove back god used them like a hammer that little army would go and they would attack like guerrilla warfare this, the Syrian military forces, the Seleucid army, and they would drive them back and drive them back and drive them back. It was like a hammer that just kept driving them back, driving them back. And God gave them victory. And I'm going to say something really interesting, but I want you to try to remember this. All of our minds tend to think here in America linear, past, present, future. Okay. And whenever we look at Bible prophecy, we tend to think that way, linear past present future but the the hebrew mind about prophecy is more like a cycle let me show you what i mean in the days of daniel daniel had to deal with nebuchadnezzar he put up an idol he expected everybody to worship remember this okay once again this cycles again in the days of antiochus epiphanes he sets up a big idol in the temple. He's expecting everybody to worship his gods and he oppresses them. To understand Hanukkah, you have to understand that it's actually prophetic about end time prophecy in the future with the Antichrist. It will cycle again in the days of the Antichrist because the Bible says the Antichrist will sit in the temple and declare himself to be God. So the Antichrist is going to defile the temple. Just like Antiochus Epiphanes did. He's going to set up a big idol that somehow can speak. Like the Catholic idols that bleed and cry or whatever. It's going to be able to talk. 
And he's going to expect everybody, all these that live in Israel to worship the idol, worship him. They're going to revolt. But Daniel said that there would be a little help. And in the days of the Maccabees, God did that. And in the days of the Antichrist to come, there's going to once again be a little help because God is going to supernaturally keep alive one-third of the Jews and supernaturally protect them and, and bring them to a safe place, probably Petra, which is in modern-day Jordan, but they're going to be protected. It's a little help at that time. Do you see how there's been a cycle? Okay. So Hanukkah speaks also of what is to come during the tribulation time. All right. So Jude, after Mattahias dies, his son Judah took charge. It was a three-year bloody war. They pushed back the king and his large army. There's a little debate about two years, three years, things like that. After realizing there was only enough oil. Now, finally, they got in there. They drove back the enemy. They walk into the temple area. And their hearts are broke because the temple is just so defiled and nasty and and. They had had their way with it, man. So they had to go in there, and they had, this priestly family had to totally cleanse the temple. This is the, the same temple that Ezra, all those years before, had built, okay? They had to go in and cleanse that temple. They had to get rid of the altar that had a pig sacrifice on it. They had to build a new bronze altar. They had to take the idol out. And while they're doing this, they light the menorah, that's in the, the temple, in the holy place. They light the menorah. It only had enough oil for one day, but it supernaturally burned for eight days. And it was such an encouragement to them. God gave them that sign and wonder, that miracle to encourage them that now, to, even to this day, we still celebrate Hanukkah by lighting eight different candles to remember the eight days of the supernatural oil. So they proceeded to rededicate and cleanse the temple. And um, so on Kislev 25 in 165 BC, three years after that altar to Zeus had been set up, the temple was cleansed and the daily burnt offerings resumed. Hanukkah is a celebration involving lighting a light each night for an eight-day period so that the light gets brighter. You ever thought about that this, in the winter, it seems like it's the darkest time of the year because the days shorten. But this is the time where the Hanukkah menorah gets brighter and brighter during that time every day. Did you ever think about the fact that darkness is just the absence of light? That you can't increase darkness? That you can't, you actually have to take away the light. You, you can't like grab darkness as a substance and put it into a box. Say, I captured some darkness. What is darkness? It's just the absence of light. This is the festival of light. Where God increases his light, his presence, etc. That's at least what the message is for us. As Christians, we're supposed to be going from glory to glory. Ever increasing glory. We should be getting closer to the Lord. Our lives should be more pure than they were last year. We should be seeing an increase of the light in our lives. For the path of the righteous goes brighter and brighter till the dawn that day. All right, um... Here's the great warning of Hanukkah. And now I'm going to close out and give you a couple things. But the, to me, the great warning in Hanukkah is assimilation. And this grieves me deeply today 
because you, in my opinion, after being in the ministry for many years now and growing up around church, I see today more than at any other time that there's a movement of a lot of churches wanting to become more and more like the world to somehow win the world. It doesn't work like that at all. And what they're doing is exactly what you see the during these days there were there were many Jews that were okay with conforming to the Greek culture and the Greek gods and doing away with anything that God had given them through Moses. Isn't that grievous? But you're seeing it today. And God has called us to not be like the world. Um, I'm just going to read what I have here, but the king Epiphany is trying to force God's people to become like the sinful world around him. He wanted them to assimilate into the evil world's idolatrous system of that day. As followers of Christ, there should be a huge difference in our lives compared to the sinful world around us. We should stick out like a star in the night sky. People should take note about us that there's something different about that person. They act different. They dress different. They talk different. They drink different. There's something about them that is different than all these others. What is it? That's what people should see about us. We are truly to be a new creation in Christ. This is a time during Hanukkah to really examine your life. Are you different than this world around you? I think about in a lot of places today, and it grieves me, how many people are going to church and they'll say, I'm a member of such and such. They go to church. It's a social club. It's a, a religious ritual they do sometimes just to feel better about themselves. But yet, they're just as involved in the worldly partying, the club, the club scene, getting drunk. They have a foul mouth full of profanity. They're having sex outside of marriage. Hello? You're seeing a major increase in the, in the church world. In my, when I was growing up, you had never seen this. Not in spirit-filled circles but a major increase of, of things like tattoos and piercings and ungodly entertainment, stuff that just shouldn't be in their life, okay? Even in the church world, you're seeing some kind of bizarre thing coming in where things like yoga and Harry Potter among children and other occultic influences are coming into the church. And when people reject revival, you know, they, many churches, many leaders rejected the revival of the 90s for different reasons. A strange spirit will move in when you reject the Holy Spirit. And something else I see that grieves me, it seems to me like people are more concerned nowadays in a lot of places with putting on a good performance than they are about pleasing the Lord. I remember Leonard Ravenhill said all these years ago, he was talking about a particular spirit-filled denomination. And he said that by and large, I heard him say it. I was watching him say it. This is what he said. He said, by and large, in this particular denomination, all over this nation, around the world, the glory of God has departed. He said what they should do from their national and international headquarters is they should 
be telling every pastor that you're not having service this next week. All of us are going to repent. We're going to have a time of prayer and fasting. We're going to get on our face and ask God's forgiveness and ask him to please bring back his glory to the church again. That's what needs to happen in a lot of places. So here's seven things to consider today as followers of of our Messiah Jesus. Number one, and I encourage people this week to really pray about this, okay? Take this home, let this be in your prayer time. This is a time for rededicating our lives unto the Lord and deeply consecrating our lives unto him. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, just like the Maccabees got that great victory. And they came in and they saw the temple defiled. They were grieved and they went through and cleansed the temple. This is a time to really do some personal inventory. Is there anything in our lives that is not right with the Lord? And ask God to deeply consecrate us, forgive us, cleanse us. That we really dedicate our temple back to the Lord, hallowed, pure. Number two, seek the Lord for major breakthroughs in warfare. If you're going through any type of spiritual warfare, let your faith increase in the God of Gideon, the God of Joshua, the God we read about David conquering Goliath, the God that that Moses led out the people with signs and wonders and Pharaoh's army destroyed and in the days of the Maccabees, the God who will give supernatural victories. That is not by human effort, it's by the Spirit of God. If you need a breakthrough, let faith arise and ask the Lord for victory in war. Number three, seek the Lord for a fresh anointing. This is a time of supernatural oil being remembered. Let God give you a fresh anointing. We're going to pray for people tonight. And I've been believing God for a fresh anointing in your life. A fresh move of revival. I remember hearing Steve Hill was out in the Argentine revival. And um, he saw so many miracles. You you guys are familiar with Carlos and Acondia. You're familiar with other leaders like Claudio and others that were there in the revival. And I mean, you've read about it. They had so many miracle signs and wonders and and, and great harvest of souls. It was incredible. And Steve was right in the middle of it. Saw all of it, you know. And um, he said, but in all of that, he didn't realize that he had gotten so busy with the ministry that he himself began to get dry. And he was talking about how he was traveling through London and was on a ferry. And he said that they, it was a secular ferry, but they began to play like Amazing Grace with bagpipes through the speakers. It was just a song that was playing. And he said it was just so beautiful, and he was just felt the presence of the Lord while he was listening to it. And he's, he was saying to himself, Lord, what are you doing? You know, he just, he just knew something was up. And he gets to London, and some friends he was staying with had a magazine. It was Time Magazine. And on Time Magazine, this was like 1994, it says the Holy Spirit falls in London. And it was at Holy Trinity Brompton, Vicar Sandy Miller, and that the Spirit of God fell, and God began to move in such an awesome way. And Steve went there, and when he was there, God touched him in a fresh way as Sandy Miller prayed over him. And it had been a revival that had broken out in Toronto. And Randy Clark had went to Holy Trinity Brompton. And that revival broke out there for a time. 
and Steve said that he hit the ground when he got prayer and he said it was like rivers washing through him and he said he didn't realize until that moment how dry he had become and God sent just a fresh revival in his life I encourage you let the Lord send a fresh revival in your life number four like the lit menorah we are called to be a light in this world make sure and live a life that's that's righteous that people see Jesus number five just like the Maccabees had to do and Elijah had to do at Mount Carmel we need to rebuild the altar have we neglected our personal prayer lives Have we neglected the word Have we been straying a little bit now's the time to begin to firm up our prayer lives and get close to the Lord again and we have to make the first effort you have to understand the Bible says draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you so we're the ones that make the effort to move forward with this number six this is a time of skipping the tail or um, tipping the scales of justice the Lord promised us that if an evil judge in Luke 18 will give a persistent widow justice how much more will your Heavenly Father give justice to his children what has Satan come in to steal kill and destroy in your life what has been stolen from you what has been attacked what has been damaged take inventory this is the time to tip the scales of justice in your favor just like the Maccabees you know this war this Seleucid Empire was coming in and they were it was like they were coming in to steal kill and destroy they took ground they put altars throughout the land they were forcing things but there came a point in time where God said I've had enough and the Maccabees were raised up and drove them back out this is a time where you say Lord the devil has done this that and the other but I'm asking you that it's enough let's move forward the other direction now God's going to restore the years the locusts have eaten amen and then number seven a mighty fortress is our God during this time Psalm 30 is read in a beautiful poem I have there Ma'ud Zor which just means fortress rock or a mighty fortress something like that in English so this is the time that God will give victory in battle and send a fresh revival how many of you guys just want a fresh touch of the Lord and hungry tonight for more of the Lord alright let's shut down recordings if you would please and then we're going to just put on some worship we're going to pray for people if you want a fresh touch tonight, I'm believing for a fresh anointing.